going to read a short passage this morning, one that you're very familiar with, I am sure. Beginning in verse 1 of Luke chapter 2, Luke says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Blessed are those who hear it and obey it. We've been going through, obviously, the Christmas story over the last few weeks again this year. But our emphasis this year has been on the experience of Christmas. What Christmas feels like. More than just the matter of history, the dates, the places, the names... Christmas is a story to be experienced. Yes, Christmas really happened, in spite of what some people might tell us. But it's more important that we get into the story and experience these events as close as we can. The part of the Christmas story that we just read is probably the most familiar of the whole story. Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem, no room for them in the end. We know that part of the story. But let's see if we can be reminded of the truth of this passage from a story that we know so well. As we go, go through this story, there's several things that I see that jump off the page as I read this text. The first one is the inconvenience of Christmas. Can anybody relate to how inconvenient Christmas is? About the time we've got everything else going in our lives, then Christmas comes along, we've got all this extra stuff. I have said for years that God has a lot of nerve scheduling Christmas, the birth of the Savior, around the time when we've got all this other stuff to do. Didn't he know we were busy? It could have been planned a little bit better. But the same could be said with Mary and Joseph and the inconvenience of them having to go to Bethlehem at precisely the time when she's going to give birth. Really, God? You couldn't have scheduled this tax, this registration six months earlier, six months later? And the answer comes back to no. Christmas is inconvenient because God is doing something here. The second thing we see in this story is the insignificance of Christmas. Your first thought might be, how in the world could Christmas be insignificant? With everything that's going on in our world today, it seems like Christmas is anything but insignificant. But if you stop and look at the birth of Jesus, it was insignificant. There were people right there in the inn who had no idea what was going on. They may have known that a woman was giving birth. They had no idea who 
this baby was, what was really going on here. This first Christmas is this big deal. It upsets a lot of the world in terms of Mary and Joseph. But then, after this birth, everything just goes right back to normal. Notice the shepherds. The shepherds come running into town. They've been told by the angels that the birth of the Savior has happened. They come in, they worship the baby Jesus, then they leave. We never hear from them again. Insignificant. This thing happens and the king doesn't even find out about it until two years later when the wise men come. Think about all that's going on in this story. It's a huge deal that upsets our lives every year for a few weeks, for a month. And then look at next month. We'll be right back in the same grind that we always are. What significance will Christmas, this Christmas, really have in our lives? God is supernaturally moving in this story to get this couple to the only place that they can be. Where prophecy hundreds of years before had said that they had to be. What do we see? We see the power of God. We see God working through circumstances to accomplish what he wants. Stop and think about that for a moment, though. You do realize that this census, this registration, this taxing had nothing to do with Jesus. Caesar didn't say, you know what, I think I'm going to do this big tax thing here because we've got to get Mary and Joseph down to Bethlehem. He didn't care. He didn't know. He had his own agenda of why he wanted this tax, why he wanted this registration. But what's interesting is God has his agenda too, doesn't he? And whose agenda wins? God uses the agenda of a pagan king to accomplish his purposes. It's pretty impressive, isn't it? In this story, we see how God works. God works in unexpected ways. This is through a virgin. God's people didn't expect the Messiah to be born of a virgin. It was unexpected. This was also through unexpected people. Mary and Joseph weren't anybody special. When people saw them, they saw an average poor couple, a carpenter and his pregnant yet unmarried wife. You know what they were thinking when they saw this couple. It happens in unexpected ways, in unexpected places, in a stable, no less. Nobody expects a king to be born in a barn and placed in a feeding trough. But this is how God works. God works in ways that we don't expect. God also does this in a low-key sort of way. 
Man, if, if I'd been doing it, if you'd been doing it, we'd have had marching bands there. TV crews. This thing would have been huge. The biggest announcement comes to shepherds who are out in the field. Mary and Joseph don't even see it. There's no angels around the birth of Jesus at the birth, at the stable. Found the field. You gotta wonder if Mary and Joseph are sitting there. Could we get maybe one angel to come here and say, Attaboy, good job. Right? Anything. It's a low key sort of thing. Understand through this whole story. If we didn't have angels popping up telling us the significance of these events, we would have missed the whole thing. Angel pops up and tells Elizabeth she's going to have a child, an older woman. This is a God thing. How do we know? Because the angel told him. Angel pops up and tells Mary she's going to have a child. She's going to be a special baby. The angel had said just another woman getting pregnant outside of marriage. Angel pops up and tells Joseph, this is a, this is a good thing, this is a God thing. Angel pops up and tells the shepherds, it's a good thing these angels are here, because we'd have missed it. Because God works in ways that are often so far under the radar that we miss them. The same is true of the first Christmas. What God does is often so subtle that if you don't look closely, you miss it. Because God often works, God usually works from the inside out. Stick with me. When Jesus came into the world, this was God's effort to change the world. Not through power, not through force, but from the inside out. When we want to change things, we want to get our power on. We want to get our force. We want to make people do what we want. That's how I'm going to change some things. Right? You ever see the boss come in, huffing and puffing? I'm making some changes around here. That's how we do it, through force, through power. But God comes in and does it through a baby. I don't know, God, if you want to make some changes, I don't, not through a baby, you're not going to do it. Right? It's going to disrupt Mary and Joseph's life, but this is going to change the world, really? God changes from the inside out. That's why we have that verse on the front of our bulletin every week. That verse from Ezekiel. God said, I'm going to give you a new heart. God is not about forcing us to act a certain way. God is about changing us from the inside out, so we want to act a certain way. And that's what we see in the Christmas story, is God is at work here. Let's come back to the the point of this series that we've been looking at. We've been asking ourselves every week, what must that have been like? What must it have been like as Mary looks down at this baby? As Joseph looks down, can you feel the disappointment in them? Not the disappointment at this child, 
but the disappointment of where they are. I don't know too many women who are excited about the birth of baby. I can't wait to go to a bar and do get the same old man. I, I would have put this baby in a feeding trough. You don't think Joseph was a little disappointed in himself as a provider, as a protector? Really, this is the best I can do for this baby? They had to be disappointed. And when the angels come in, or the, the, the shepherds come in and tell them about the angels, Mary and Joseph are looking at each other and, gee, we don't wait. Mary's still sweating from the, the delivery and all this. And nothing. What must that have felt like for them? That moment. Only then can we truly understand what's going on at Christmas. God is at work in ways that we don't understand. In ways that we often miss. God, in ways that we often... God, I wouldn't have done it that way. Had God asked us for our advice, I doubt if any of us would have said this story right here. I think in 15 minutes we could have probably come up with a better story than this one. So what's our takeaway today? As we look at this story that doesn't play out the way we would have done it, what should we learn from how God is working in this story. Number one, don't expect God to work in ways that you expect. How many times have you experienced God doing unexpected things in your life in ways that you didn't see coming? We often put God in a box. Of what we expect him to do, how we expect him to do it, when we expect him to do it. Boy, God is sure late most of the time with us, isn't he? But we see in this Christmas story, this tax, this, this Roman tax gets them exactly where they're supposed to be. I wonder if as they were going to Bethlehem, it's about an 80 mile journey. On the donkey. Ladies, this probably won't shock you, but I've never had a child myself. But I've heard, I've heard that when you get toward the latter part, it's uncomfortable. (laughs) Can you imagine riding a donkey for 80 miles? And I have ridden a donkey. Not pregnant, but I have ridden a donkey. (laughs) And the suspension on those things, the shocks, it's not real good. You can feel every right? Can you imagine Mary as she's riding this thing for 80 miles? Oh my gosh. God doesn't work the way we would expect. And yet they're exactly, precisely where they're supposed to be at precisely the point they're supposed to be there. Don't expect God to do things the way you expect. God will do what's best. God will do what's right according to His plan, according to His agenda. 
How many of you are familiar, read the, in the news about this pastor in Iran, Sahid Abedini? Been in prison in Iran now for over two years. Did you read his letter that he released last week? His Christmas letter? Let me read you part of what he says. As he's in prison right now. He said, these days are very cold here. My small space beside the window is without glass, making most nights unbearable to sleep. The treatment by fellow prisoners is also quite cold and at times hostile. Some of my fellow prisoners don't like me because I'm a convert and a pastor. They look at me with shame as someone who has betrayed his former religion. The guards can't even stand the paper cross that I have made and hung next to me as a sign of my faith and in anticipation of the Savior's birth. They have threatened me and forced me to remove it. This is the first Christmas that I am completely without my family. All of my family is presently outside of the country. These conditions have made this upcoming Christmas season very hard, cold, and shattering for me. It appears that I am alone and no one left beside me. These cold and brittle conditions have made me wonder why God chose the hardest time of the year to become flesh and why he came to earth in the weakest human condition as a baby. Why did God choose the hardest place to be born in the cold weather? Why did God choose to be born in a manger in a stable, which is very cold, filthy, and unsanitary with the unpleasant smell? Why did the birth have to be in such a way that it was only hard, not only hard physically, but also socially? It must have brought much shame for Mary and her fiancé that she was pregnant before marriage in the religious society of that time. Dear sisters and brothers, the fact of the gospel is that not only the story of Jesus, but is also the key of how we are to live and serve like Jesus. Today, we like him should come out of our safe comfort zone in order to proclaim the word of life and salvation through faith in Jesus Christ and the penalty of sin that he paid for on the cross and to proclaim his resurrection. We should be able to tolerate the cold, the difficulties and the shame in order to serve God. We should be able to enter into the pain of the cold, dark world. Amazing. Locked up for over two years. And what's he thinking about? How we ought to be reaching our world for Christ. I don't I what I'd be thinking about. Get me home. Get me some warm clothes. Get me some food. Get me out of here. Christmas is about God working at inconvenient times in ways that are very difficult. For us, don't expect God to do things the way you expect. Number two, what do we learn from this story? Don't just do Christmas and then just go back to normal. We do the same thing every year at Christmas. You know what I'm talking about? Every year at Christmas. Or excuse me, Thanksgiving, we say, Thanksgiving should not be just one day. Thanksgiving should not be just one day. 
should be all year long, right? We say it every year. And then the day after Thanksgiving, what are we doing folks on Christmas? We can't wait to get through Thanksgiving because we got to get going on the, the Black Friday deals. We Thanksgiving should not be just one day. And it is. Until next year when we remind ourselves that Thanksgiving should not be just one day. But we do the same thing with Christmas. Christmas comes. We do the Christmas stuff. It's right back to life as normal. Let me read you a song that you might know. It's a song about Snoopy's Christmas. Now you know you're getting some good theology when you're reading Snoopy's Christmas. The news had come out in the First World War. The bloody Red Baron was flying once more. The Allied command ignored all its men and called on Snoopy to do it again. Was the night before Christmas and 40 below when Snoopy went up in search of his foe. He spied the Red Baron and fiercely they fought. With ice on his wings, Snoopy knew he was caught. The Baron had Snoopy dead in his sights. He reached for his trigger to pull it up tight. Why he didn't shoot, well, we'll never know. Or was it the bells from the village below? The Baron made Snoopy fly to the Rhine and forced him to land behind enemy lines. Snoopy was certain that this was the end. When the Baron cried out, Merry Christmas, my friend. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want to bash Snoopy this morning. But I want to walk you through this story for just a second to make a point. The scene is World War I in Europe with two fighter pilots, the Red Baron and Snoopy. In the course of this dogfight, the Red Baron has Snoopy right in his sights. But instead of shooting Snoopy down, he forces him to land. At that point, Snoopy thinks it's the end. It's over. Until the Baron cries out, Merry Christmas. And the chorus, the chorus, how many of you know the chorus to this song? Christmas bells, those Christmas bells, ringing through the land, bringing peace to all the world and goodwill to man. I might cry. It chokes you up. That is until you read the last verse. The Baron then offered Snoopy a toast. And Snoopy, our hero, saluted his host. And then with the roar, they were both on their way, each knowing they'd meet on some other day. Christmas bells, those Christmas bells ringing through the land, 
bringing peace to all the world and goodwill to man. Christmas, it stops wars. It stops the killing. That is until the next day when we go right back to trying to kill each other again. They both knew they'd meet again some other day. Merry Christmas, my friend. I'll try to kill you tomorrow. And we laugh at this song. But let me tell you a little bit of history, folks. Christmas 1914. True story. During World War I, one of the bloodiest wars in human history, Christmas time, 1914, the British troops, the German troops stopped fighting. They actually came out of their trenches and started playing football. And there are pictures of German forces, British forces playing football at Christmas time. Until Christmas was over and they got back in their foxholes and tried to kill each other. You see, Christmas is this big deal for a few weeks. And then we go back to life like it didn't even happen. Jesus came, supposedly, to bring peace on earth, not peace for one day. And if we're not careful... You'll sit here today and you'll agree with me and say, yep, that's not what we should do. We shouldn't make Christmas just a short period of time and then get back to life as normal. And if you don't do something different, that's exactly what will happen one more year. Even as we say, that's not the way it should be. That's the way it will be. And we'll go right back to fighting again. How many families will put aside their fighting for Christmas And then once Christmas is over, they're right back to fighting each other again. Don't let Christmas just be this blip and then go back to life as normal. Number three. If we're going to learn something from this story, we've got to learn the lesson that we've got to find ways to make Christmas about God. Find ways to make Christmas less about us and more about God. You see, the angels had it right when they came to the shepherds in the field. They said, glory to God in the highest. This whole thing is about God. Any Christmas celebration that doesn't revolve around the glory of God misses the point. Let me repeat that. Any Christmas celebration that doesn't revolve around the glory of God misses the point. Today, if you ask the average person what Christmas is about, they will tell you it's about family. Don't get me wrong. Family is a good thing. And that we celebrate a holiday together as family is wonderful. 
But family has become more important than the birth of the Savior. And you can get together and do Christmas and do the family stuff, and God doesn't even have to be a part of it. How do I know that? Because millions of families this year that will stop and celebrate Christmas, and it will have nothing to do with God. And they will be thankful for family, and they will celebrate together and all exchange gifts together, all the family stuff, and God will not be mentioned. And they will miss the point of Christmas. The birth of Jesus is not about family. Christmas is about the birth of a Savior for the world. In 2010, Southern Baptists conducted a survey about Christmas. Here's what their results were. Here's what their conclusion was. They said, Americans give Jesus a head nod at Christmas, but spend most of the season pleasing their ears, their eyes, and taste buds with decorations, music, and meals. We tip our hat to God, we say it's about Jesus, but then everything else is about our eyes, our ears, and our mouths. Many people today, many Christians have gotten caught up in this debate about what we call Christmas. And many Christians have gotten on the bandwagon that we need to make sure that the world calls Christmas Christmas. Because it is. It's about the birth of Jesus. But we don't stop and think about what that means. Think about it. Do we really want people who don't believe in God to call Christmas Christmas? To what end? Do we really think that God receives glory from the word Christmas coming out of people's mouths who don't even believe in Jesus? In fact, when we push lost people, when we push the world to use the term Christmas around this holiday when they don't believe in Jesus, is pushing them to be hypocrites, to say something that they don't believe. In Isaiah, God actually said, talking about his people, he said, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in that context, God says, I'm not cool with that. And yet, what are we pushing people to do? Honor God with their lips, even though their heart is far from God. People, this is our holiday. This is our Savior. We need to make sure that we make it about God. Don't be pushing it on other people who don't believe in God. It won't do any good. But we need to make sure that we keep it about God. Good grief, people. We, as Christians, can't even keep the focus on God the way that we should. Does it help to push other people to say Christmas when they don't believe it? Christmas is about hope. But when we make Christmas all about us, we miss out on the hope. Are you with me? Our hope comes from God. Our hope comes from this Savior. And when we make Christmas about our stuff, gifts, family, partying, where's our hope come from? 
Folks, we can exchange gifts. We can have parties. We can do family stuff without a Savior. How do we know that? Because many people in the world do exactly that. Christmas is about hope. And we need to keep the focus on the hope that comes from Christmas, from the birth of this child. If we push God out of Christmas, where's our hope going to come from? We live in a world where children are killed at school, literally. Not just in Pakistan, but here in this country. Where Christians are thrown in prison for preaching Christ to Muslims. We live in a world where the average American Christian will spend more at Christmas time on gifts than they will spend all year long giving to support the ministries of the church. Did you hear me? We will spend more during the month of December to buy gifts for family and friends more than we spend all year long to support the message of Christ getting out there to lost people. Now tell me that's not mixed up. Christmas is far too important to make it all about us. And then, once Christmas is over, this Christmas which is all about us, we push it aside and get back to life as normal. you got to think that God's looking down and saying, really? It's a holiday about me, and we can't even make it about me? I tell a story, true story. You'll understand me a little bit better when I tell you this. A number of years ago, on my birthday, I got a phone call from my family. Hey, I thought that was nice. They called me on my... They remember. Half the time they forget, you know. (laughs) They remembered my birthday, and they said, well, we decided since it was your birthday, we'd go out to dinner. And they did in Illinois. (laughs) And they called me from the restaurant. They said, well, we ought to at least wish him a happy birthday. (laughs) It is his birthday, by the way, you know. My heart was so warmed. They went out and celebrated my birthday without. But they called me. Now tell me how that's any different than what we do with God every year. We go out and celebrate the birth of Jesus without even including Jesus. Having our good time. Who needs God? Who needs Jesus? It's another good reason to get drunk. Amen? And we we know in today's world you don't need a, a lot of excuses to get drunk. Look at all the partying that will go on that will not just not glorify God, it will dishonor God. All in the name of Christmas. I'm not talking about the world, folks. I'm talking about us. If we don't make Christmas about God, if we miss it, how in the world will we ever influence the world 
Christ. Let's pray.